Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. Masters of Couch Potato Style Punches and Popcorn Welcome back to Ninja November, Punches and Popcorn Crew. Your Couch Potato Ninja Clan is here to dive into the mysterious cinematic world of the 80s action icon, The Ninja. Tonight, we move on to the second film in Canon's Ninja Trilogy, 1983's Revenge of the Ninja. But first, let's say hello to our Ninja crew and our very special guest for tonight's episode. Uh, I'll start with myself. Again, I'm your host, Mike Huntone. Uh, happy to be here with you all. We have on the boards our man, the magic man, Matt Knotts. I'm here in a different position. I'm not pushing buttons tonight. It's all Mike tonight. <laughs> So uh, any greatness, you can shower me with praise or failures. It's all Mike's fault. It's, uh, you know, this is how it goes. So I'm pretending to be the magic man, but Matt's always our magic man. Um, and also, we have our genius ambassador, the wonderful Jason Bills. Hey, everybody. And our walking weapon, the professor, Dr. Dominic DeMore. <laughs> How you doing? Happy to be here. And I would love to shower you with praise. You're doing such a great job. I'd say you're doing a golden job. So I'll get a golden shower. <laughs> well, while I'm digesting that, let me uh, introduce our returning guests, our, our friends, the writers and authors of what we think of as our Bible here on Punches and Popcorn, uh, authors of These Fists Break Bricks, our friends uh, Chris Poggioli. Hello. And Hi thank you, Chris. Uh, we're excited to have you here. And uh, Grady Hendricks. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Grady, and this is a really exciting time for you. You have a movie out right now on one of your books, My Best Friend's Exorcism, which is available on uh, Amazon Prime Video. I know I watched that. That was really entertaining. Of course, Thanks. not as not as good as the book. Never it, is. Never is. Never is. <laughs> I, I lo love the book. Love the book. Um, and you have a new book coming out in January. Is that correct? Yeah, How to Sell a Haunted House, which is coming out on January 17th, which is about two adult siblings who hate each other, who have to uh, tolerate one another when their parents die, and they have to clean out and sell their childhood home, which is full of haunted dolls. So, <laughs> you know, as so childhood great. homes are. <laughs> always, always. Ah, well, that sounds awesome, and we'll uh, we'll make sure we talk about that more. Uh, I am excited to read that one. That'll be super oh, exciting. So, um, but... Before we get to all that, uh, let's get to our movie. Uh, so tonight, uh, yeah, let me just cut that intro out, or that little blip. All right, so tonight, uh, let's get to the movie we're talking about tonight. 1981's Enter the Ninja, uh, that we talked about last episode, introduced America to the ninja. And soon enough, and soon enough, America couldn't get enough. Menachem Golan, director of Enter the Ninja and co-founder of Canon Films, Knew he had a hit on his hands, so he took the best parts of Enter the Ninja, Shokasugi, the Black Ninja, and a whole host of ninja gadgets, weapons, and magic, and hired Sam Furstenberg and blessed us with the unforgettable Revenge of the Ninja. This 1983 film, 
Furstenberg's first action film would turn the violence and the jacuzzis up to 11 and leave a trail of thugs, old ladies, and children bleeding in its wake. So, guys, let's talk about Enter the Ninja. Or We already talked about Enter the Ninja. We did. Uh, Please, no. I do not want to talk about that. Well, I do. Okay. so bef- maybe we should talk about that. I want to hear Chris and Grady what they think of it. Well, I, think- I was the only one that liked it on this <laughs> podcast, so I, I maybe they'll be a defender. Well, I'm going to throw out a general question here, and you can choose to talk about uh, Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, or some other sort of ninjas. And I think this is a really uh, one of the reasons we really wanted to have uh, Chris and Grady. You guys come on with your uh, the wealth of knowledge that you bring, you know, that you shared in these fists break bricks, and we just wanted to start because we kind of asked this last episode. It didn't really have a good answer, so we're hoping maybe you can find our way home here. We wanted to know why ninjas. Oh well, I don't know, Chris. Do you want to do you want to dive in? Because there are many, many clear reasons why ninjas. <laughs> um, actually, Chris, let me let me do the back story bit, sure. and then you can mm-hmm. correct me. Um, you know, ninjutsu is it it came to the u.s uh the first guy to do it in america and sort of bring it here was a black dude from panama who immigrated to the states in the 50s uh named ronald duncan and he started teaching uh ninjutsu in closed door after hours classes at his dojo in new york um and then he wound up being on things like abc's wild world wide world of sports and stuff um catching arrows out of the air and stuff like that. Um, And then he got in an argument with Black Belt Magazine, uh, and they basically erased him from history and decided to feature on the cover a white dude who was selling books through their press as the the first American ninja. And so it had a really torture. You know, people get really competitive. Who was the first American ninja? Right. Um, But yeah, it was definitely Ronald Duncan, uh, and, um, that, that's sort of, you know, been, been recentered in recent history, but, uh, you know, and then the first time you got pop culture ninjas was, uh, in the film adaptation of you only live twice, the James Bond movie, oh, you know, yeah. um, where they have all the ninjas, but then, then came the eighties and Chris, man, you should take this. Cause you know, these ins and outs better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well in, in 1980, uh, the, that was really the the breakthrough year in the U.S. for Ninja because you had the uh, the best selling novel, The Ninja, came out in like April, I think, or April mm. or May of 1980. The uh, Eric Van yes novel, and even before it was published, the movie rights were sold to Zanuck Brown, the producers of Jaws, and uh, they they were going to do a a, a film adaptation of it never happened but uh but that summer also the octagon came out the chuck norris movie with ninja activity in it oh and i forgot had, about the, that tadashi yamashita in that and uh and, and then in the fall of 1980 uh shogun the the big mini series uh yes had had ninja in it and right around the same time shogun assassin opened in theaters oh. Which you know the the whole setup of that is is based on uh, you know Ogami Ito's uh, family being wiped out or his wife anyway uh, being killed by ninja and you know he and his son are being stalked by ninjas through through the whole series, um, 
and uh, and right around that time, also the the Shaw Brothers movie uh, was released uh, for the first time uh, under under the title Challenge of the Ninja in the U.S. Uh, but uh, what was uh, the what was the Hong Kong title of that one? Um, was that uh, Heroes of the East? Oh, that's the was- Heroes of the East is the one where he had where uh, Gordon Liu has the is it the wife that's from Japan and they do the whole like yeah cross- right yeah oh, man Heroes I love East. that movie yeah. yeah. Yeah, and with uh, Yazwaki Karata. That's doing right. The kind of crab. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, it was like one of the first Shaw movies where the Japanese weren't villains, right? Or weren't outright all of them just right. like mustache twirling villains. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. They yeah. were arrogant jerks, but they weren't villains. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It was a, this is, a, but that I, compared to, again, a lot of the, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about when we did King Boxer, the. Uh, the, I mean, again, the bad guy, the Japanese that come in uh, as mercenaries in that one. They're, I mean, they're fantastic characters, but they're very much like the at the mustache twirling, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh know, yeah, Duke dastardly levels. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, Enter the Ninja from Canon was uh, was really the first ninja uh, American production. Uh, I mean, there had been the killer elite in the mid seventies, mm. but I mean, the the ninja were pr- pretty much cut out of that of the final film, and the, the ninja that are in it look like buffoons, uh, <laughs> the way the way they're handled. So, uh, you know, and there have been appearances on a, a handful of television shows, like there was a, an episode of Hawaii Five O, uh, an episode of Beretta that had a ninja, uh, Kung Fu. There was a ninja. Uh, there was oh, a ninja really? Episode. I didn't. Yeah. They percolated. They percolated. Ah, okay. Yeah. And Good. all of the comic books. I mean, they, yeah. Uh, oh, in, yeah. In fact, the the author, uh, the the screenwriter of Revenge of the Ninja was Jim Silk, who was a, a comic book uh, artist and writer. Uh, but you know, go, going back ten years before that, they had been in comic books, um, mostly like Denny O'Neill and uh, Larry Hama. Uh, ah, wrote yeah. a lot of stories. Like uh, I think Larry Hama wrote something for Iron Fist. That had an engine, and I think, but ah, okay. de- de- I mean, de- de- Denny O'Neill created the um, Richard Dragon comic book, and oh, okay, th- th- there was a ninja storyline in that, and and he did a lot of writing for uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, and so you know, there there were ninja all over comic books in the seventies. But oh, you know, really the thing cool. that's so important about the canon movies is. Um, it's sort of the rise and fall of, or depending on how you want to look at it, how loyal you are to Canon of Shokasugi. Um, because he was just a stunt man on enter the ninja, right? Right. He was, he, he wore dozens of those ninja outfits. He played dozens of ninjas in that movie. Right. And they really thought he was something special. And so then he had his starring role in revenge of the ninja. Yep. And then he became such a huge star that by the time, uh, they were doing Ninja Three: The Domination. Shokasugi was—he had his own ideas about how he should be portrayed on screen, how Ninja should look on screen, and what the audience wanted. He thought Canon had it the wrong way around. They were trying to stuff too much into one movie. He wasn't wrong, and and he went out on his own. <laughs> so you sort of have—you know—he's discovered but masked. He's a—he gets his intro in Revenge of the Ninja, and then he packs up and leaves town with Ninja Three: The Domination. Um, and it's really, really hard to get now how important Shokasugi is. 
Um, because, you know, Japanese actors in the States really played for many, many, many decades, houseboys, spies. I mean, they didn't get good roles. Um, There were the occasional things like Tokyo Joe with Humphrey Bogart and, um, you know, bits and pieces here and there. But, you know, Asian actors and specifically Japanese actors really had a tough row to hoe. And Shokasugi was a dude who did it his way. He, by the time Revenge of the Ninja opened, he had, I mean, he was an immigrant who came to the States and he studied business. And by the time Revenge of the Ninja opened, he had transformed half of his karate studio into a merchandise warehouse to sell merch. Um, (laughs) He got burned on movies and decided, okay, I need to scout locations. I need to be involved with the casting. I need to do the action. I need to be in the editing room to make sure the action is good. He knew how to market himself and promote himself. It's rare an actor does that much. And for it to be a Japanese actor in the States, and not just that, but like a first-generation immigrant Japanese actor, it's it's a pretty amazing feat for anyone, you know? Um, so it's, and, and I feel like and Chris, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like he was the first sort of Asian American action star we got really. I mean, there were attempts for Jackie Chan to cross over, but he was, he was a Hong Konger. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting. I know, um, as I'd read that in these fist break bricks, he talked about how, uh, you know, he, this is the first time that, uh, uh, that a Japanese actor starred in an American film. And I was thinking back yeah. to, you know, a lot of the movies that we've covered so far are big into, you know, the Shaw and some of those were looking at the Chinese actors. And, you know, as I mentioned before, often the Japanese are villains. And uh, this is uh, was interesting, right? Where I think in the 80s, that's where we saw the swing more towards Japanese martial arts, where everything was Kung Fu before this it you know it was interesting when we talked about uh enter the ninja uh and i think you guys have helped here i think some of us were uh like it's an interesting movie and i know like but i think many of us uh i know jason probably is higher on that movie than uh me or dom might be but we kind of watched that and you know everything you read about enter the ninja is like well this is the movie that sets that created the tropes the multicolored ninjas and of course the white ninja and all that, and we're like, how did this movie create the like uh, create the ninja? We're like, we just didn't get it. Like, how is this? Where when you watch Revenge of the Ninja, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, everything's amped up. Yeah, so. yeah, Mike, um, Mike, if I can jump in, yeah, please and, do. And, and another question, like, I also, and this is kind of part of it. One of the things we were speculating is how much are ninjas? Because clearly, the establishment of the ninja, you know trope is 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 relatively consistent uh for it's been consistent for decades but how accurate is it because i'm under the impression that the ninja that we see like sub-zero or the guys in these movies you know is essentially like the wild west it's based on something real but it's so much a Hollywood fabrication that it doesn't resemble. And I don't know, actually. So if you could, you have any insight on like how much of the ninja of real life back in the day versus what we see in the movie, how much of that is a fabrication? I'd be interested to hear that too. Well, it's a lot, a lot of it. I mean, it's not only Hollywood, it's, uh, it's just Japanese legend. Uh, you know, in, in, I mean, the, 
the ninja pretty much faded into obscurity in like I, I think the 17th century they started to uh, to fade and uh, and then there in the eight in the 1800s there was a uh, sort of a resurgence uh, in, in interest and uh, I think you mentioned the Wild West there's a, a, <laughs> the same sort of uh, legend making going on uh, yeah. with the ninja as you have with the wild west here uh the american west so uh th- there's there's a lot of uh i guess rewriting of history i mean for example the the yagyu clan uh in japan there were three three different productions there was a tv series of the yagyu uh chronicles and uh two movies in which uh, Sonny Chiba played uh, Jubei Yagyu and he is the man in, in three different versions of how he lost his eye uh. and only one of them is is factually correct <laughs> but in all three of them it's the wrong eye it's, 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 so, <laughs> so, uh, it, it, I, I forgot what version I, mean, I don't think it's the TV series I think it was like Samurai Rebellion I think uh, is the, okay. the movie where they they actually show what how he actually lost his eye he was dueling with his father and his father uh, accidentally took out his eye uh, but the <laughs> other two versions it's com- completely different it's just made up um so so you get that i mean it, and those are all three of them were japanese productions right so you know you, then you get to you, you bring it to the united states and then you have a statement like only a ninja can kill a ninja <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> <It's, yeah. laughs> I mean, they they used to uh, ninja would destroy their faces so they couldn't be identified. Like if if you know a samurai or someone else killed them, uh, they would like scratch their face off or they would blow themselves up somehow <laughs> so they couldn't be identified and it, you wouldn't know what clan had been hired to do the spying. Or the Wait, is that real or is that or is that mythos? Yeah, um, <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> is this nuts? <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's it's in it's in the Japanese ninja movies. You, you see that all the time, um, and and yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of uh, yeah, a, a, a lot of uh, espionage, let's uh, okay. say, and and you know, uh, not wanting to be identified as as uh, being with a, a certain clan hired out, you know, to to do the spying. So so yeah. Um, yeah, but my my point is, you could kill a ninja and not be a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and you whole... know, and yeah, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, Grady. I was just gonna say, you know, and you can see Enter the Ninja. Like, I know where you guys are coming from with that, but I really I like that movie because it, you know, yes, on the one hand, it starts out as a very <laughs> low budget shot in the Philippines, you know, Franco Nero. I mean, Franco Nero is great and everything, but like, right. yes. I mean, you he's know, Django. It, yeah, exactly. But I can see, you know, it starts as one movie and it winds up turning into a ninja movie and sort of like refines itself as it goes. And man, like, holy crap. Like, wait, so I'm a kid watching this movie and I get a bad guy 
who wears a badass costume, yep. has all the gadgets of James Bond, except oh, they yeah. like blow people up. <laughs> I get different, like I'm in different flavors. There's a white ninja, there's a red ninja, there's a black ninja. <laughs> like the toy eticness of it is right there on the surface. Oh, and yeah. all they do is sneak around and mess people up. Like <laughs> if I'm a kid, I am imprinting on that so hard. They're that's, Batman. That's They're true. Batman. Let's, yeah. so, so like, like that's the appeal of Batman, and, and I think that's why in the the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman movies, they're just like, well, let's make him a ninja because Batman's mm-hmm. essentially a ninja. He sneaks yeah. around, he messes people up, you know, and he strikes fear into them. Like it's it's the same yeah. appeal, and Batman's Absolutely. arguably the most popular comic book character. And right. It's the same logic. And yeah. on top cool of that, costume, there's, cool gizmos, yeah. like the whole. And then there's two other things too, which is the ninjas. Like there's violence, right? They're, they're yep. relatively violent movies. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and then also the ninja who's the lead character in all of these movies, it gets a little darker in Ninja 3, The Domination, but in uh, Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja, it's a good ninja. Right. And all yeah. the other ninjas are bad. So you already got like, you know, this kind of like whole story right there. It's like, whoa, this dude's like an outcast among ninjas. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. That's true. I, yeah. <laughs> I think it's stuff in Enter the Ninja like, just the scene where he's riding in the car and like they pull up to, th- to the plant there, wherever it is. And he's just sitting in the back seat. There's just something, this image of this guy oh, in yeah. the white suit, like what is happening here? Though I do like at the oh, end yeah. of that one that like the, you know, the villain, I forget his name, but he has the whole, con- yes, that he has the whole confrontation yes. with him, has that great death look when he dies. And I love that Shokasugi in that one, which feels very authentic. Like, He's hired by this, but he just like hangs out and basically waits for this other guy to die. And then he shows yeah. up I'm like, right. I wonder right. if I just wonder when I was watching that, if the guy, you know, if, if this were real, the character's like, where's that friggin' ninja? You know, it's, I mean, he said in there, my favorite line in that movie is I want my black ninja and I want him now. Like he oh, had yeah. to be saying that yeah. as he was Such giving his great death throw. Right. He's like, where's this black, black ninja? Is the best flavor of ninja. Right. right. <laughs> and I like that. So right. When we get to revenge of the ninja, that's the only ninja we get with the exception. I mean, you get the ones at the beginning, they have the headbands and belts, but mm-hmm. otherwise yeah. it's all black ninja. Well, that's actually, if, if if I may, one of the things, so I dislike Enter the Ninja, and I think Revenge of the Ninja is freaking great. Like, it's it's like, <laughs> if you ask me to watch Enter the Ninja again, I'd be like, I need drugs. But, <laughs> yeah, during, the, during the making of Enter the Ninja, um, they realized that they they really had something with Shokasugi, and yeah. so they, they made his part bigger. Right during the make, and they gave him, you know, as Grady said, they had they kept plugging him into, you know, putting him into suits and and doubling all these all these other characters. So by the time the movie came out, they already knew they were going to be doing the second movie and spotlighting Shokasugi to the point where I, you know, I I just noticed this. I I guess it just flew past me the previous times I saw the movie, but. I don't think his name figures prominently in the advertising, like on the poster. But no, it the, doesn't. In the actual movie, he's third build above the title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it's Franco Nero, Susan George, and Shokasugi in Enter the Ninja. Right. So that, like, what, while they were doing the credits, they knew, you know, we got to play this guy up because he's going to be the star of the next movie. <laughs> and, you know, we mentioned earlier uh, when Grady was talking about Ronald Duncan and... Um, 
Stephen Hayes. Uh, Stephen Hayes had written uh, a draft of Enter the Ninja. Uh, I, I believe, uh, I think it was Enter, well, he definitely uh, was going to be in Revenge of the Ninja. He was supposed to play the part that um, Braden, or the oh, Arthur okay. Roberts ended up taking uh, in the original advertising in the trades for Revenge of the Ninja. It was going to star Shokasugi, Stephen Hayes, and Keith Vitale. And yeah, and, and Hayes was going to play the, the villain. So you were going to have like real ninja. <laughs> right, right. Facing oh. off. Uh, but what you ended up with was Arthur Roberts. Mostly, you know, they, they put that silver mask on him so you wouldn't see that it was Stephen Lambert. I, right. I was I was just about to ask about that mask <laughs> because. Yeah. So now jumping into Revenge of the Ninja. Uh, and oh, yeah. actually, I want to pump the brakes there for just a second. And I want to call attention back again to uh, Ron Duncan is the actual originator yeah. of ninjutsu in America. So I just want to call that out because we had a discussion about this when we did Bloodsport and uh, the actual Frank Dukes, you know, one of his many, uh, let's say, quote unquote claims to fame was that he brought ninjutsu to America. So I just, again, want to, for our audience, and we have in multiple episodes, call out that it is not Frank Dukes that brought ninjutsu to America. It is Ronald Duncan. So we'll make sure we cover that in social media too, because we like to honor the people that do the actual work. Here. I'm shocked. Uh, I am very, shocked, very shocked, sir. Frank Duke seems like a very honest gentleman. Uh, <laughs> all right. So moving on to Revenge of the Ninja. We're here to talk about Revenge of the Ninja, not Frank. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask about that mask because I know. So you mentioned about like the ninjas disfiguring themselves. And I just wondered with this, you know, it's funny that he, I, I, when we first saw it, when we met you guys at the, uh, Syracuse Kung Fu Fest. This is one of the movies that was yeah. featured there. And it was probably my favorite movie of the night because of everything we're talking about and going to talk about. But I always thought it was funny that he has a mask and then a mask. And I was wondering, I'm like, why the double mask? And I'd wondered, I'm like, is there something like cultural here to that? Or is it so I listening to the commentary and what you had gotten at before that at pretty much any time there's any fighting, it was Steve Lambert. And it sounded like from what I read, uh, between like every ninja in this movie, it was basically either Steve or show uh, playing those characters. Uh, and, and again, Steve Lambert, uh, Steve Vitali is the other like accomplished martial artist. Keith. Yeah, Keith. Keith. Vitaly. Okay. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. For some reason I was getting double Steve in my mind there, but right. So is it really just that like, uh, again, Arthur Roberts has no talent, has no experience <laughs> in martial arts rather than try to pretend it, because I think that's one of the, to me, is the downside of Enter the Ninjas. The scenes where they actually had um, Franco Nero fight as a ninja. Like, he doesn't look like a ninja. Right. <laughs> and, like, how is this guy the, you know, they got to put the mask on him so that, uh, you know, he can he can look like a ninja. So I like that in this one they didn't even attempt to, like, make Brayden try to look like he could fight until that mask was on. So, uh, right. uh, yeah, is there any, like, bat, or is it really just we want to... <laughs> we want to hide this guy so that we can put our stunt coordinator in that suit. Oh, uh, I, I, I think I, I yeah, I, I think when they, they went from having potentially Stephen Hayes playing the part who could do the fighting, but must've been just terrible <laughs> as an actor. Uh, and, and then, so then they got Arthur Roberts who, you know, is, good enough and <laughs> they figured just stick stick a mask on him I mean, that, that's that's what i think I, I mean i don't i don't maybe i mean because the mask is scary and also right. 
they could have the eyes glow and and he and he has you know hip he's a hip uh, hypnotist and and <laughs> yeah I, 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 there were a few, a few things going on there i mean there there was a uh, there was a movie in the mid, a japanese movie in the mid 70s that was kind of like a ninja movie called demon spies Ooh. and they all wear masks like that um and, you know and and there, there's there's a yeah i mean they're they don't come right out and say ninjutsu or but they're it's basically like a ninja like clan of these demon spies um and, and it was based on a manga and i don't know if, if oh, there's okay. more, more ninja in the manga or not but uh but it's so I, I think there is some basis uh, for, for that mask, you know, that, that okay. maybe somebody saw Demon Spies because it did play. I mean, it played around L.A. and, and in the, the Japanese theaters in, in the mid 70s. So oh, I got so there's a good chance that Menachem Golan saw that possibly or somebody at Canon or Jim Silk, uh, who wrote the, the screenplay. Oh, right. Because yes. I, I know those uh, the, the comic book artists and writers were heavily into the martial arts movies in the 70s. Right. They all right. went to, to see them in New York anyway. Yeah, yeah. And also, can I just say, one of the genius things about ninjas in movies is it can be anyone under that mask. <laughs> right, right. Right. You, you don't you have an actor who can't do martial arts get a stuntman under there right exactly you're like all you can see is the eyes and i mean when they're dancing around and stuff you really can't see that what, what i <laughs> exactly. like about this movie is like the even though it's you know one pretty much one ninja through most of the movie the fight scenes are paced so much better like the entire movie mm-hmm. is paced so much better uh like I, I I feel like pacing, and and I'm not a movie expert, um, but I feel like pacing makes or breaks a movie for me, because I I I felt like Enter the Ninja. There were parts where I'm like, I don't really care. Oh, this is plot, or yeah, he cheats on, you know, his wife cheats on him with the other guy, you know, <laughs> ah, you know, and it's just like there's lulls. This movie is honestly, I'm entertained throughout. The acting, eh. You know, <laughs> the story, eh. but like the whole time I'm like, awesome, 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 cheesy, but awesome, 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 <laughs> awesome. And I, I think, I feel like this is such an improvement on the model because they managed to, to work in car chase scenes and fight in buildings. So they have the whole like urban landscape fight. They got the car chase. They got the traditional Japanese kind of fight they got all that stuff and and like i really feel like this is this was a like it, it definitely has the b movie flavor it definitely it definitely is an exploitation movie but i feel like it was pretty skilled hands that yeah. kind of came up with the the bones of this and, and and i really enjoy it yeah i definitely enjoy it too and i i think i don't even know if i call it pacing it almost just feels like it's on fast forward because i mean you're just jumping from one scene action scene fight scene to the next and i guess i was reading uh sam Furstenberg, the director i guess he delivered like a two-hour cut and you know golan and globus were like yeah okay that's good but just take out 30 minutes we want it to be 90 minutes which kind of explains a lot of the continuity issues but you're just having so much fun and so entertained that you just kind of you know, put it to the side. Like there's that random scene out of nowhere where um, 
uh, our heroine, Kathy, uh, is just like being like sexually assaulted by <laughs> a, a man who looks like Oddjob, but is not Oddjob. I, and yeah, then, I, I swear when we were watching this in Syracuse, I was like, that's Oddjob. Uh, and I looked up on my phone and like it's not confirmed no, it's Oddjob. Uh, no, it, but Tor- it's not. Toro Tanaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he actually died like a year before this movie was made. So like, oh, it's OK. This is definitely not Oddjob. Crossing that out on my notes. Not odd job. But Go it was on. right. Uh, Chris, remind me again. <laughs> what's the gentleman's name? The, he's a professor. Right. Pro, uh, yeah. pro, professor Toro Tanaka. Is he actually yeah, is a, he, Do we know, he, like, he, what is he a professor of? I Since think he's a wrestler. A, uh, he, he was a wrestler, and uh, uh, I, I think that character. was part of his act. Professor uh, of pain. Oh. <laughs> Matt's giving us big thumbs. Well, with the amount of students I here. fail, I should get that name, too. <laughs> he, he has a, a really good fight scene, and, well, it's, I don't know if it's really good, but it's, uh, it, it's entertaining in a movie called Catch the Heat. Ooh, okay. Uh, Tiana Alexandra. Uh, takes him out and she oh, yeah. at, at one point like gets on his shoulders and <laughs> is like strangling him with her legs and yeah it, it's it's a pretty good scene pre-black <laughs> widow mcu <Ooh. laughs> i you know it's interesting because i kind of feel bad for him. i mean obviously i don't feel any bad for somebody who is sexually assaulting a woman but i like the oh, guy God. said to uh, right, and I probably what does it say that I felt I needed to clarify that, but I'm just moving past that quickly. <laughs> and uh, we, so you know, the Braden tells him he's like, make sure she's something along the lines of make sure she stays in line, or you know what to do. And then they both give the villainous, <laughs> and I mean, clearly when he comes in, and like that is not what he know yeah, what to do. So I kind of wondered. Like- I was like, what was the like? <laughs> what was the you know what to do? What was he expecting there? That's part of the half hour that got cut out. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <clears throat> yeah, like, I, was... I feel like they're they're building Caffiano. I'm jumping ahead here to the to be the main character, and we don't even get closure with him so much, other than his hand gets wounded. Like, right. Like, I, I need answers. He was a great weird right. mobster. <laughs> <laughs> he so to me and Dom, I'm really interested as our uh, resident 100 uh, percent Italian here. Um, oh, no. So, Chris, you might fall into that too. Uh, Poggiali, <laughs> no. I mean, Poggiali might be French, maybe, but I guess no, no, it's not a hundred percent. Some Irish. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, Dom is uh, the one hundred percent. We talk about worth, for, yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested in. So when I see Caifano, um, one, I I think uh, Joe Pesci on meth. Um, or dehydrated Joe or de- Pesci. Okay, that's a nicer way to put it. Let's say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's I- the same thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, is it just you're thirsty? Or like, is I don't it think a- meth heads are like, well, I need to stay hydrated today. I got a long day in front of me of smoking meth and sleeping on an old mattress in a freaking crack, ha- crack house. Like, <laughs> Well, whatever the source of the dehydration. Dom, how did you feel about your... Uh, countryman's portrayal like like i said i'm i'm used to it you know it's it's and i've said this before i'll make it quick but i feel very removed from the mobster stereotype you know like the whole you know back back when the godfather when the godfather takes place was like the 40s and 50s i believe you know like 
Because there was a time when Italian immigrants were considered non-white and they were considered to be, you know, uh, an oppressed demographic and they were experiencing prejudice. And of course, in any of those insular communities that result, you end up having a lot of crime and a lot of mobsters because they don't want, you know, they don't want to call the police and they don't want to call the institutions, the American institutions like the police or whatever to handle their issues. So they have internal ways of dealing with it and that's where the mob comes from and that's why the mob tends to be ethnic because it's it's on it has to do with an ethnic community that doesn't feel that they can trust the cops but like i'm not really that anymore like people look at me and they're like all right uh, another white guy like you know i don't, <laughs> don't I, I modern day italians in america are not an oppressed demographic and the mob comes across as being extremely cartoonish to someone like <laughs> me like i've had all the opportunities in the world i don't need to loan i don't need to borrow money from the mob you know if something <laughs> goes wrong i can call the police and be like hey guys you know like you know it can be like a normal person so watching this i always feel very disconnected from it. but like it's funny though because they're always <laughs> yeah. like you know they, they ham up this new york act which is funny because they're in la right but they have like the well, maybe new- maybe what <laughs> maybe. maybe or utah i saw there was a utah license well plate. it was yeah it was shot in salt lake city yeah, yeah but but i don't it's not know new york if- let's just let's just call yeah. it it's not new york and they sound so new york they're like hey you know he's gotta look good for the goyles you know and then that whole thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, that guy's eating in the park with his mom and he's like, hey, have some brujol or whatever. I don't know whatever he said, but it's just it's so silly. And and I feel like uh, and that's one of the things that was fun in the 80s. Mobsters are just cannon fodder. So, you know, like the more greasy and like, uh, uh, by the way, I'm gesturing with the three fingers touched together for the people that can't see. And the more, hey, yo, how you doing? You know, that guy's going to get killed in a brutal way so the way <laughs> oh, i see it is they're how. just they're just fun cannon fodder you know <laughs> like may i be related to that cannon fodder eh, so what it's still fun so i, I like it well, i love the way the guy's killed in the bathroom you know he's just and of course he handles it in the most like mobster way he's like hey yo what is it halloween <laughs> and, then, and then he gets kicked in and then he gets his femur broken with one kick which like <laughs> i didn't have enough time but i'm pretty sure i could calculate how hard you'd have to kick someone to snap their femur into and it would be hard well how very about the, hard how about the but that's two what guys the fun with, of this movie is the right. ninjas are essentially superpowers <laughs> you know they're like oh you know they have hypnosis powers you know <laughs> they have like they can they can you know magically a trampoline appears off screen behind a wall <laughs> which is how they manage to jump over the wall like you know they, they're you know it's, yeah it's, that's how you jump into frame yeah dom yeah. you also said cannon fodder which i'm sure was a pun because canon like you know it seems like <laughs> they're leaning into <laughs> a lot of stereotypes in this like he um our italian mobster has a native american gentleman oh uh, the chief <laughs> like there's a cowboy at one point like it's, if he acts up scalp him and i'm like ow, yeah. ow like that hurt me like <laughs> yeah the cowboy who was played by the stunt coordinator. Lambert, yeah, yeah. He said he like really resisted that. People day we're recording this, by the way, just to, just kind of add a little bit of a twist. I was like, oh god, yeah, that you know, the, he yeah. fights with two axes. Oh, the like, tomahawks. He is he even he, Native American? Like it's so concerning. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Do you, Chris? Do you or Grady? Do you know? Is that guy? Is he? Actually, I don't know. He, <laughs> 
it, yeah, it's very cringy when he's like, Chief, and this guy stands up. I mean, it's yeah. like this guy could be the Redskins well, logo. And it, could be, like, it, could be, it could be a local, you know, because uh, you got the reservations out there. That's true. That's yeah. true. So he, maybe it could be a local actor. Maybe it um, wasn't 100% appropriation, mm-hmm. just like 75%. Yeah, I mean, like the, right. he came you know, from you know what Monument you, Valley or something. Right, right. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the scalpel you know, line was rough. <laughs> Ashley Ferrer was from Salt Lake City. She was a model, and so they, uh, I, I think they, they plugged her into that that part because uh, they had originally, uh, I think June Chadwick, a British actress, was going to play that role. Oh, really? And um, yeah, she she was later on the TV series V. Oh and, yeah, and she had she had just been in a movie called uh, Forbidden World okay. for uh, for Roger Corman, but she was announced oh, Corman, to play that part, yes. and then I, I think they just plugged in Ashley Ferrer, who was living in Salt Lake City. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. But she forgot her pants in the first scene. <laughs> like, I watched, no, no, no. I watched that first scene and I'm like, hold on, time out. Like I watched it in the movies in Syracuse and I'm like, okay, I, I was I was three when this movie came out. Maybe there's a fashion thing. Maybe like, <laughs> so I'm watching it again and I'm like, all right, pause. And I call my wife over and I'm like, is this a thing or is she just missing her pants? And she well, watches and she goes, you can't train unless you get your pants on. Right. No yeah. pants. Right. Yeah. 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 He makes yeah. that comment. It kind of makes me feel, yes. I'm like, is somebody going to comment on the no pants? Yes. Yeah. She's got no pants on. She's wearing like, like, I, I don't know, pantyhose and like a blouse. And she just waltzes in, pats the kid on the head, gives him a kiss on the cheek. Man, if I was six and a woman like that with no pants on kissed me, I don't know what would happen. I don't know where I'd be right now. It would be life changing. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and how about how about the kid? So the uh, what's his oh, name in the movie? Is Shane? Is that what? Kane. 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 That's Con- but it, Kane. Kane Kasogi. But that's but, uh, right. That's his actual name, and he's actually um, Show's son, and yeah. who was like actually trained. I mm-hmm. I read something, or the director was saying like his son Show was like stretching him and doing like splits with him as like a newborn to get him ready. And I mean, this kid kicks ass in this. <laughs> he movie. steals every scene he's in. He's terrific. Basically, there's there's two things that really elevate this movie. One is Kane uh, Kasugi, who it's amazing to have a kid who can do these stunts. He's got the big pumpkin head. He does all that stuff. And then the grandmother is the other one. Um, and that is Grace Oshida. And she's the blast in this movie. She does way more action than you think she's going to. Oh, she's yes. I'm sure she's doubled for a lot of it, but it looks good. It she, does. you know, she has the sassy grandmother thing and just she's another Salt Lake City local. She oh, was really? actually uh ah. yeah, she's only ever been in this movie. Um uh, and uh Grace was born in San Francisco and her family had a miso factory where they manufacture miso. And when her family was rounded up for the internment camps and for World War II, her father was sent to North Dakota. She and her family were sent to Camp Delta, Topaz, I think, Mm. which was in uh, Utah. And, um, and she was a teenager. I think she was 14 or 15 when that happened, which is, you know, terrifying yeah she was born in the states and to be in the country you're born in you're rounded up by the fbi you they lost you know you lost all your assets except what you could carry in your pocket so they lost their miso business they lost their home they lost everything moved to a new state and then when she came out of the they were lit out of the uh internment camps 
with basically, I think they got like $25 a piece in travel money. And that was reparations, you know? Um, (sighs) And she and her family moved to Salt Lake City and they, they rebuilt their miso factory, restarted it. And she was the manager there for wow. her entire life into uh, the late 80s when she retired. And um, it's a trip because in I actually got fascinated by her and looked up her obituary in their local paper when she passed away. And it names being in Revenge of the Ninja as one of the highlights nice. of her life. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which must be amazing to be a grandmother and like your grandkids see you kicking ass as a grandma. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> So, yeah, so so shout out to Grace Oshita, because I do think having actors, you know, a little kid who could do this stuff and an old woman who's got presence and you can double her in and do this stuff. It just makes the movie so much. There's always something new going on. Oh, yeah. And what I like, I don't like the fact that she dies. I mean, it moves the plot along. But like what I do like about this movie is no one is necessarily spared like you watch like i watched this movie and i think okay well you know the kids are gonna survive and you know la, 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 la. Well, and the, the first scene yeah. an entire family gets smothered in front oh, yeah. of you the yeah, kid yeah. gets the, the gets the shuriken thrown into his eye like butters from south park style <laughs> and, and i'm just like oh my god like like and, and they didn't pan away you didn't just see a, a you know a, a body on the floor you know no they showed the whole thing first of all a star to the eye is not going to kill you like for anyone who's wondering that it's just going to be like but what like, about so when that guy the right length to reach through the eye and into the brain as show explained at the police station yeah uh, that part of the brain like you wouldn't die right away if that got punctured. Like it is because you have to go. Uh, you have to go through the eye. You have to go through the orbit, which is thin, which which is thin to be fair. And then you'd have, you know, you have to go through the fat in between the orbit and the eye. And then you'd have to. So where would it be? Oh, I feel like it's diencephalon. Wow, area. this isn't even the science segment. No, no, oh, I don't man. think you die right so away. Much here. So that guy, when he gets the star <laughs> thrown in his eye, he goes ah. He would run around for a long time. Like, ah! <laughs> Well, I just compare that beginning to the beginning of Enter the Ninja, where we get the scene where we get the famous, like, multicolored ninjas. And I always felt, we kind of talked about this in the last one, that it felt like kind of a cop-out, because he does all this stuff, and it looks like, I mean, you see the the master who, oh, I just wanted to call that out again, because it kind of connects to what you were saying about our uh, famous grandma in this episode, or this movie, Grady. Uh, uh, we wanted to call out that the actor that played the master in... Enter the Ninja, Dale oh, Ishimoto. Uh, Dale Ishimoto, he was also sent to an internment camp. He was sent to Gila River internment camp in Arizona, um, but got out and served in the 442nd uh, Regimental Combat Unit, which is the famous mostly Japanese unit that in Karate Kid, Miyagi is portrayed as a veteran oh, right. of that unit. So so that was something we called out there. And it's cool to see in both of these movies, we have people that you know were significantly wronged by our country and the the, hey they get a chance to play a really memorable role in each of these movies but in that movie again we in the beginning we see him uh, like he clearly nods and then you see franco nero uh, it looks like when i first saw it i thought it was like the worst special effects ever because he clearly cuts the head off a mannequin 
But then at the end, it's like, oh, it's all fake. This is a training exercise. Like it was a ninja mm-hmm. exam. He passed his final exam. <laughs> yeah, so right. Well, the exam in this one, I like it starts out right away with just bodies are dropping everywhere. People are dying in the most bloody yeah. way, which I had heard uh, uh, Furstenberg said that, I guess when this first came out, when all these scenes were in there, the movie was rated X. And they, for like oh, the wow. theater release, had to cut out some of the like, they couldn't show the star in the eye because that was, you know, they didn't think American audiences really wanted to see a child killed, uh, like brutal. graphically. It was, I remember screen. seeing that. It really is graphic. So, like I, like I said, the first time I saw it was in Syracuse, you know, at at the showing, <laughs> and I it was the third movie in, and I'm like, I, I'm 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 in, I'm gonna take whatever you throw at me. But watching it like fresh, I was like, whoa, okay. Oh, we <laughs> were like yelling in the theater. We're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was like I th- I so I'm gonna counter you, Dom. I think it was the second movie. I think it was after it was, yeah. No Retreat, No Surrender. We hadn't gotten to Chinese Hercules. Yet. Chinese Hercules was after. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, because so, we went back in time with it. And, that's why I'm. Confused. But it was after. Okay, I mean, again, I not to get into no retreat, no surrender. That movie's a lot of fun, but like, yes. it, it's all like hand to hand fighting. So then in this one, to like right away, just get like the most brutal, like, you know, you got shurikens and axes and knives and you know all this other stuff. It just people are getting slaughtered. You know, children, women, men, like all these people are dying right away. It's uh, you know right away when well, you get into this movie like you're in for something different. And you know it's funny because I think that uh, like no retreat, no surrender. And I got to say that screening was the greatest case of movieus interrupt us uh, <laughs> with that last real missing yeah. climax yeah. of the final fight. That was you're the like, best. Uh, <laughs> it just um, goes from punch to he's being held up, and then the movie's over. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you're really seeing the difference between martial arts filmmakers who do no retreat, no surrender, which is largely largely a bloodless movie, right? Yeah, yeah. To yeah. exploitation filmmakers like Golan and Globus making, you know, figuring out what to do with Enter the Ninja. Okay, this is what we need to double down on and do more of, and really delivering the goods in this. I mean, you know, that final fight scene. I mean. It's bonkers with flamethrowers <laughs> and all this madness. Um, and Chokasugi apparently almost died filming it. In a, he got hit by a big gust of wind and went almost went off the edge of the building. Right, the, like, uh, they're and, really on that building in Salt Lake City. Yeah. yeah, apparently it was just the fact that there was a quick-thinking stuntman who grabbed him before he went off the edge. Um, yeah, wow. what, how different the world would have been. Oh, I absolutely love the final scene. I think yeah. I think if we're making an exploitation movie, this is how you do it. He got he's got every single weapon. I feel like I'm in some sort of like video game where you know how in video games where you have like it's in your sack and your sack has 12 swords, 24 bombs, a bunch of like potions and and like you know basically a truck's worth of stuff but somehow you have it all. I feel like Shokazuki does that in the movie and Oh yeah. And, and it makes sense. Like, so, so my favorite part, and I said this in one of our prior podcasts, but it's, um, I don't know what they're called. So I'm just going to call them spike balls when, um, <laughs> sneaking up a stairwell and a mobster opens the door and engages with him. He turns around, pulls down his mask and <laughs> spits out spike balls at his face. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And then I'm like, wait, did he have those in his mouth? The entire time? Yes. Fine. I'm okay with it. Awesome. But now, see, you're giving me a chance to bring up something ridiculous. Um, Yes. So 
there was a dude. Do you remember when we were reading about this guy, Chris? Uh, Masaki Hatsumi? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a dude, Masaki Hatsumi, who was basically full of shit. Um, <laughs> and he, he was in the States and like lived in Ohio or the Midwest or somewhere, but said, you know, oh, I trained all the ninja and you only live twice. And he would like have ninja conventions and stuff. And I just give ridiculous quotes like, oh, well, yeah, I'd fight Muhammad Ali and I'd win because uh, I blind him with poison before the match even began because I'm really serious about this stuff. It's like, that's, that's okay. Um, but he, like prick. yeah, exactly. But he would give these interviews and he'd be like, oh, let me tell you the things a ninja can do. And he'd be like, female ninjas can like, hypnotize men with sex influence and um they can like taste dirt and tell who walked on it um and, oh, and the the one i love is that because ninjas walk sideways which means that each one of their steps is three times as long as a normal human step that they can travel incredible distances very quickly because I guess they move at three times speed because they're sideways. But to your point about the spike balls, one of the things he said is that a ninja can swallow tea and hide it in the corner of his throat and then regurgitate it hours later and spit it at someone to like blind them. So wow. if they could do it with tea, I'm sure they can do that with spike balls. They can just hide them in the corner of their throat. So, so like, was this ninja he was talking about like a mother bird that just looked? <laughs> it was Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> oh, that is amazing! But yeah, so apparently that's some ridiculous supposed mythological ninja trick to regurgitate on people. Oh wow! Well, I oh, I I got nothing. <laughs> I, I'm the anatomy professor, and I'm like, I'm thinking we back. Start, we need to do. We need to dissect. A ninja. That's <laughs> Brundle, we, need to get, we need to get a cadaver well of a ninja. Oh, yeah, that's true. So maybe Brundlefly is a ninja. Yeah. Interesting. We're putting it all together here tonight. <laughs> I just feel mad that, you know, I threw, like, TV, cartoon episodes, and comics. Probably watched Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow fought, fight, like, 537 times. And I don't ever recall seeing one of them spit on each other. So I feel like I got robbed. <laughs> Of an, you, you they, they missed an essential part of ninja lore here. Uh, Grady just reminded me uh, that this is, this is a uh, really interesting. I, I can connect uh, this discussion to death promise. Uh, <laughs> uh -oh. Grady mentioned Masaki Hatsumi, who was the, the technical consultant on you only live twice. He had been the consultant on, uh, Shinobi no Mano, which was a Japanese ninja movie. It was a series of eight or nine movies in the mid sixties. And he was a consultant on at least the first one. And there's a scene in that movie where a ninja drops a string or a rope down from the ceiling over, uh, Shintaro, I think it's Shintaro Katsu or, or, or his brother, Tomasaburo Wakayama. It was one, one or the other. Sure. But, uh, but, uh, and, drips poison down into his mouth. Oh, yes, right. And then that was done in You Only oh, yeah. Twice also. Yes. And, you know, oh, where yeah. Bond, Bond rolls over and it gets uh, the young woman instead. Right. Uh, but that's in Death Promise. 
That's Remember right. Remember when Char- Charlie yep. Bonet goes to Japan and gets training? They don't say that it's ninjutsu, right? But he comes back and starts doing ninjutsu stuff, like <laughs> dropping that whatever it's. Like. I think it's a bamboo shoot. Right, right. He slides mm-hmm. in and then he poisons one of the mafia guys. Oh or yeah, one of the landlords, I should say. Right, right, right. Yeah, he poisons one of the landlords with the same thing. Oh, that's cool. See, well, now I'm going to rewatch Death Promise. I mean, it's always a good time to rewatch Death Promise. Why not? That movie is fantastic. (laughs) But now it's even better because I'm going to tell myself that Charles Bonet is a undercover ninja in that movie, (laughs) (laughs) which really fits. Um, Yeah, it does. One more thing. I feel like it's I would be remiss not to bring this up. Um, I wonder if this is an essential part of ninja lore also that we're missing. But the thing that really stood out for this movie is the sheer number of hot tubs, jacuzzis that are featured in this movie. Oh we, yeah. We get the first the we get the hot tub murder scene that leads to the really interesting and Dom, I don't know if this is where you're going to go with your science segment but the uh, jackhammer separation line um, we we get a hot tub we get a hot tub torture device and then at the yeah, end there's a hot tub on the roof. That's sexy mortis. No, that's not yes, going to be my scene. Which which I was not just be trying to I was just trying to remember there is a hot tub on like a jacuzzi on the roof right, in the, the last scene, right? That's right. And that's one yes. of the two we get two fake ninjas in that final yeah. like fight like sequence. One is ninja. just the full the full paper mache one that he cuts in half that I really wonder like how did he get that up to the roof? And we're probably it's probably just one of those things we're just not supposed to ask. But I heard in the commentary, I think they said that that jacuzzi on the roof is actually like it really was there on one of the buildings they were shooting it in. So they just decided, right, they have the fake arm and then he's really in there. And I, I mean, who puts a jacuzzi on a like it doesn't look like uh, at least how they shoot it. Like this it is somebody's like, like hangout place. Like that. it looks like it's next to like the air conditioning unit and the like heating unit. And there's just a hot tub out there. So I don't like. Do we think that hot tubs are part of ninja lore or was, uh, did, I don't know. Did like Golan have a side business selling hot tubs or well, maybe I mean, show? I think you could assume if you see a hot tub in a canon movie, it was there. Like I can't, <laughs> it's not going right. to to do a little, you know, this rooftop would really like be more interesting visually. But so we have to assume that that hot tub lived there. And I like to think it was either like, some office managers like secret hot tub <laughs> right he installed like he, you know they they are a hot tub company and he just threw one up there just to like <laughs> relax or like where the employees took their smoke break or like <laughs> what amazing because you're right it is like a very janky un you know it's out in the middle of the open you're gonna get terrible sunburn at that altitude like but it would also be an amazing view right it's i don't know what i like better either the it's either this hot the roof hot tub here or the office pool in Enter the Ninja. That it, I as, love that office As we pool. talked about last time, like anyone that's been like indoors, like at a pool where you aren't swimming, it's the most uncomfortable place in the world because it's so hot in those things. <laughs> like I can't imagine the humidity in that room, but but also like Listen, right, a pool Dollars in the middle of the office. I'm charmed by that office, so <laughs> Plus and, they're in the Philippines, so it's that's true. That's true. Terribly hot and humid anyway. Oh, good, Everywhere. Good point. Good point. That is a nest, that might actually be an improvement in there. <laughs> Excellent point. Uh, all right. Well, we got a lot of good stuff here, but I feel like we're kind of getting to a point here where um, we need to hear. We need to be hit with some science. Um, so we, Dom, are you ready? 
for yeah, to I'm deliver ready. some science it. to us. All right. Press that button. All right, here we go. So you remember in the movie when the odd job wannabe, the professor of pain, was assaulting, um, I don't remember her name, pantsless model, blonde, the blonde, I, go, say again? Kathy? Kathy. Kathy. Yep. I, I, I call her the blonde. I probably shouldn't say that. Oh, no, damn. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm that's, kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But you Continue. know that's what they wanted. They're like, we need oh, a blonde. Oh, that absolutely hot, was her character. Boy, it was the 80s. So right. do. <laughs> You'll do. Okay. And, and then like. You know, the kid runs away after he sees the villain's face, after he takes off the mask. And so the villain's like, says to the blonde, he's like, okay, you need to get the kid. And he does hypnosis. You know, hypnosis is a trope and a half. Like, if you recall on our episode of Above the Law, we talked about truth serum and how that's Ah, not exactly how it works. Hypnosis is used as a similar plot device. And And I feel like in martial arts movies, it's the kind of the goat it, it, it can be used quite liberally in, in a lot because as we've discussed earlier when bruce lee brought the you know cha- it really changed the impression of the asian in america from being someone who's subservient to being someone who can you know who can fight and who's who can be imposing and then in the 80s martial arts movies started to make the Asian to come across as like a little magical and martial arts to be a little magical. Well, this totally goes along with it. Um, and hypnosis comes across as being kind of like a magical power in this movie. But what is hypnosis? Well, in the etymology of hypnosis, it was originally called neurohypnosis, which means the sleeping of the mind. So hypnosis is derived from sleep. It means sleep. And if you were to define it, it basically it's where you have a, a whole suite of characters. Um, one of the things is you have increased concentration. So you're f- so focused on one thing that you lack a periphery. So you're just so focused on one thing that you don't notice what's going on, on around you. And also you become extremely open to suggestion, which is why I brought up the truth serum thing, because essentially it's a very similar idea. And we don't 100% know how hypnosis works because when someone is in a hypnotic state, there's actually two hypotheses to the way you are. One is that you're in an altered state, not like the 80s movie, please. Um, but it's where you're like your awareness becomes different from the way you are in consciousness. So that's a very general way of defining it. There's other ways that people have hypothesized what an altered state is, and there's lots of definition, but that's one way of doing it. The other way is called non-state, where you're actually, it's just a placebo, where you essentially, you become hypnotized because you essentially want to be hypnotized, and you're just, you just give in to suggestion, and it's so it's so dramatic that you, you buy into it. Okay. And when they do hypnosis, it's called induction. So what uh, the bad guy did in this movie is he waved his hands in a circular motion three times or five times, said a bunch of stuff. And that's how he induced hypnosis. Also his eyes glowed green. <laughs> yeah. That's not when a he has the mask on. <laughs> yeah. When the mask got green glowing eyes, you know, which all is the same, which all is the same thing. So when they, when they want to induce hypnosis, they want the person to have their eyes fixed. 
So the green eyes would be like, okay, look into my eyes, look into my eyes, that kind of thing. Um, tend to have monotonous sounds. So you don't want jarring sounds because that'll snap you out of it. You want the sounds to be monotonous. So it's like a ticking of a clock or some or you know that kind of that kind of noises um and then you want because you want to induce a relaxed state and some forms of hypnosis what they'll do is they'll test to see if you're actually hypnotized by lifting up your arms and seeing if they drop because if they lift up your arm you keep it here eh, you're probably not under hypnosis even though you might you know they might think you are and, and and really what happens is then they use it as a form of classical conditioning and if you don't know what classical conditioning is uh pavlov's dog it's basically where you associate one stimulus with another uh, and so they make a suggestion and they associate with a certain stimulus and then when you're out of hypnosis You'll do what you're programmed to do. And, you know, movies like The Manchurian Candidate kind of make that ridiculously dramatic. But it's used to, you know, tell people, like, if people want to stop smoking, for example, you know, they, if you go into hypnosis and they're like, when you feel the urge to smoke, do X, Y, Z, and the person will just kind of automatically do it because they've been conditioned. Now, let's go back to the <laughs> to the movie. It is very difficult to induce hypnosis on a woman who is A, been kidnapped, B, been sexually assaulted by a, a giant man, and then C, is talking to a random ninja in a metal mask. So, like, that is arguably the least relaxing environment I could think of. You're not going to be like, you're getting very sleepy. I'd be like, hell no, man. I want to get the hell out of here. What the hell is going on? You're not going to induce hypnosis that way. So, I mean, if you wanted to hypnotize someone, you would kind of have to lull them or maybe use drugs to lull them into a state, then do suggestion, and then hope that they respond to the conditioning later you can't just be like oh you were almost raped and then you watched a guy die and now i who knows what i'm like but yeah just do what i want oh yeah no no it's not gonna happen at all um <laughs> but that's where the ninja magic comes yeah. in so, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the ninja the ninja magic and one other thing before we end the segment the the watch thing i'm sure everyone knows like the classical hypnosis thing yeah watch swinging back and forth i what i've read is that's not a thing and the reason <laughs> no, and it makes sense the reason it's not a thing is because if you think about it they want your eyes to be fixed and if you're watching a watch swing back and forth even though the motion is repetitive what's happening is your eye you're moving your eyes to the left stopping then moving mm -hmm. your eyes to the right stopping then moving your eyes to the left stopping and that requires a fair amount of coordination on a subconscious level and you're not going to be relaxed it's actually somewhat hard to do so you'll be very focused but you're not going to be in a state for hypnosis so that uh swing clock thing is a myth oh fascinating <laughs> that's, that's all one, i got yeah. for you another wonderful science segment dom uh gonna play but it's a good it's a good way to advance the plot yeah, you know, like for sure. Yeah, I I introduced a screening of Reanimator last weekend, and you know David Gale hypnotizes two people during the course of Reanimator, uh, and yeah, you know, he has less 
you know, he's not a ninja. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and oh, you're right. I think it's movie. a good it's a good point. It's a good example of ninja magic, you know, which which, yeah. which is half the fun. Like right. in, like I said, in eighties movies like we were watching, what did we do? Um um Oh, Timok. What's um my oh, Last, Last Dragon. Dragon. The Last, Last Dragon. Dragon. The Last yeah. Dragon is essentially Asian magic in New York. That's yep. really what that movie is. And and, and so it, it goes with the time. So I'm not criticizing the use of <laughs> hypnosis, but like that's the, the science. So Chris and Grady, just so you know, the science segment, um, I kind of ruin things sometimes. So <laughs> you just bag rats on your head. You can do it. Hey, where else? rats on your head. You can just take it off. Um, the um, shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sh- if you try to snap someone's neck, it's not going to work out. Like in this movie, you know what he grabs? Like, oh, yeah. I thought of that. Happen. Thanks to your not science segment. Anytime I see that now, I'm like, yep, that's wrong. Thanks, yeah. Dr. Dom. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, where, I else, I, where else can you go and get uh, talk of, you know, at varying levels, uh, speaking only of, for myself here, varying levels of competency, uh, <laughs> martial arts movies, but also actually get a for free university level education on a wide variety of subjects so always appreciate your knowledge here dom um so wrapping this up guys uh final thoughts what do we think about this movie uh or ninjas in general uh yeah whoever wants i think what i'll yeah i think what i like about this movie and i i heard it's it's kind of seemed obvious once i heard the director say it but he was saying that um for this round for revenge of the ninja is he approached it more of as a kind of an 80s action movie versus more of a, a martial arts movie and the ninja stuff is almost like he called it like the icing on the cake so i think that is the difference between obviously and enter the ninja which is kind of show making the leap here with this movie but that seems like golan trying to make a martial arts movie as best he can in the philippines and his maybe limited directorial skills um <laughs> while also making a very entertaining movie i love enter the ninja but this kind of feels like okay it's the 80s we're making action movies oh but let's also implant ninjas in here so i i think that kind of does something interesting it's almost like a different genre and it and it like you were saying, Dom, like the, the, the pacing is, is sped up. Everything's kind of more <laughs> intense. And uh, yeah, so I, I had such a fun time with this one. Yeah. And to yeah. springboard off that, my final thoughts, this movie is just like, you know what you're getting when you go into it. It's an exploitation movie. It's a B movie, but it's friggin' all aw- it's, it's awesome. You it's, can't catch it, your breath. It, you know, is it good? I don't know. Is it awesome? <laughs> you can't dispute that it is awesome. Like, like it's, I, I, I often make this joke. I'm like, I said this with Mortal Kombat. I'm like, Mortal Kombat is awesome. My mother would hate it, but it's still awesome. And this is the same kind of movie. It's not a, it's not a French expressionist piece, but it's friggin' great. And I absolutely loved it. And the opportunity to watch it again, jumped right on it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun and, and it, uh, yeah, it, it, it moves and, uh, yeah, there. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about it how it it doesn't spare anybody, but you know, it it does surprise. Like uh, I, the first time I watched it, I thought for sure Kathy was got, was a goner, and and yet they have that great scene where where uh, uh, Kane Kasugi saves her. 
Yeah. yeah. It, it beats up the guy, you know, who, who doesn't know how to use nunchucks. <laughs> kind of gets him and he knows, and, and he, you know, oh, he beats yes. the guy up while, while saving her. And then yeah. she shows up at the building at the end in her bathrobe. <laughs> she didn't get dressed. She right. Put right. Her bathrobe and went right over <laughs> to the scene. And uh, yeah, I did just, I, I, I like, I like the way that it kind of twisted things. I mean, you, you, the grandmother dies, but Kathy survives. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, I got to say, to me, it's all summed up. I think it's Braden who has the line, don't fuck with the Japanese. Like, it's, <laughs> that says everything you need to know about the ninja. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, I'll, you know, I totally concur with what everybody said here. You know, the action is great. I, I Just the thing I love about this is that being able to watch Sho Kasugi uh, do his thing, it's clear, like, this is a talented guy. And even though we get, like, the great climactic scene where they're in the ninja suits that you know as we talked about before once those suits are on it could be anybody right Mm -hmm. um and often is uh not the people that we expect to see but we also do get a lot of scenes with show just in street clothes and uh, we get to see him fight in scenes like uh you know the big the showdown with the chief and his thugs are one that we barely talked about the playground fight that i i freaking love that's probably my favorite scene in the movie because uh, it's just as brutal and fast, and you get to see this guy at the talent. You know, I mean, he uses fans as a weapon, like <laughs> combat fans. All right, and he kicks ass everywhere. It's just it's, so to me. It's uh, this is why I love martial arts movies is because I love people that have this incredible talent and athleticism, and it's great when we get a movie like this that puts them on, sh- you know, on display, and there's no denying when you see this, like. This guy has talent, and it's awesome, you know, seeing him and knowing, like, you know, the the legend that rose from him because of this, uh, you know, and his son to some, because then his son became famous. So even though I believe I read there is a rift between them at some point, uh, you With know, two as sons, yeah, right, think, oh, right, because yeah. two his two sons are in this movie. Right. The I think right, it's the one that gets the star to the eye is his. Yes, is one son Shane, right? I think Shane. That's Shane. Yeah, right, right. right. And then Kane, uh, who's uh, he really is my favorite part in the movie. That kid, just watching him, whether it's kicking other kids' asses or grown ups. uh, Again, the nunchucks is great. Where the guy, like when he's flipping those things around, you're like, dude, I can, I think I could operate nunchucks more competently than this guy, and that kid sure can. Well, uh, what about Franco Nero and Enter the Drag and Enter the Ninja when he's doing the? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. right, right. <laughs> Nobody showed him how to do. Right. So yeah, Just this making that up. This is a treat for for me, and I'm very excited for us to talk next uh guys about the Ninja Three: The Domination because that is just an absolute bonkers movie. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, before that, again, I just want to thank Chris and Grady, you guys coming on again. Hopefully we'll get you on again because you guys always bring such uh, great information. And, uh, you know, it's just it's always a joy to talk to you. Um, uh, Chris, Grady, can you guys again tell our audience? uh, uh, Again, we refer to these fist break bricks as our Bible. We love that book. Uh, Joe Bob loves that book. Joe Bob Briggs gave that a shout out in this past season of the last (laughs) drive-in, which I just don't know how you get a better accolade than that. Um, Guys, (laughs) where can our audience, where should our audience go to find that book? Uh, These brick, these fist break bricks.com. It has the links to the sales. You can find it on Amazon, order it from Barnes and Noble, uh, bookshop.org. 
I, I mean, mm-hmm. anywhere you can find books, that book will be lurking like a ninja. Yeah, it's in <laughs> yes. it's in like half the Barnes and Nobles in the country, I think. Yeah, um, I got it at my local Barnes and Nobles stores. Yeah, so make sure you go to thesefistbreakbricks.com. Uh, check that out. Uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to buy it from a local independent bookseller, please do that because we love our local booksellers, uh, movie theaters, etc. Um, and as we mentioned before, Grady has a movie out right now. It's just amazing uh, on one of his books. My brother, my brother's yikes. My best friend's <laughs> exorcism on Amazon Prime. Go watch that. That's a lot of fun. And read the book. And uh, Grady, again, uh, you have our new the new book coming out in January. Uh, yeah, where you can, can pre-order audience? it now, but yeah. it's uh, How to Sell a Haunted House, and that's coming out January 17th. Um, and if you want to know more about it, or if you want to avoid me, GradyHendricks.com. <laughs> All right, don't go there if you yeah. don't want anything from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go check that out. Put in the pre-orders, Grady. If you're looking for advanced readers, uh, you've got a couple here. Just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to come up. Uh, you know, definitely checking that out for our audience. Uh, well, by the time you hear this, we will have already had the Anomaly Film Fest. So you missed it, but make sure you follow uh, AnomalyFilmFest.com for all the updates. Uh, There are some incredible movies, so I'm sure uh, afterwards we'll be talking about that. So listen to the Anomaly Anomaly podcast on our Lunch Roar network and and all our other uh, fellow Lunch Roar podcast shows, um, Beer Review Journal, uh, Food About Town. I Again, thanks to our friend Chris Lindstrom for letting us use the Food About Town studio here. Uh, Definitely check out his show and all the other shows on our network. Um, Until next time, again, guys, thank you again for making the time. This is uh, wonderful as always. Uh, And everybody, have a a wonderful night. And uh, keep it ninja. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a presentation of the Lunch Hour Podcast Network. 